This is Dennis Hopeless, writer of Spider-Woman, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk my name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Wow, Mark, you're really dramatic today. I, I'm, I'm feeling the drama, Dan. Are you feeling better from last week? Yeah, I, I'm no longer on the verge of death. I've been upgraded to still alive. Oh, wonderful. Yes. That is a, that is a significantly <laughs> better story there. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for our newest special episode of Amazing Spider Talk and their amazing friends. We're discussing the Spider-Woman comic. Yeah, yeah. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dennis Hopeless, who is the the scripter of Spider-Woman. And, uh, you know, those of you who are reading Spider-Woman post-Spider-Verse probably noticed that there's a new status quo, a new costume, a new tone for the series. So uh, we're going to talk to Dennis about all of that and uh, and a whole lot more. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I I didn't think I would be that excited to talk about Spider-Woman, but, I mean, here we are, and it's one of my favorite Spider-Comics running right now. Yeah, Dan, I agree with you. It's it's one of my favorites, too. I mean, hey, Ben Yurick, you know I love me some Ben, some, you know, this is Ben Yurick, and I'm a reporter. One day they'll come out with Ben Yurick, the comic, and you'll be, like, the biggest champion of that book. They kind of did that during Civil War. There was, like, that Frontline Oh, yeah, I like that series. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was good. I, I forget if that was Bendis or not, but... It covered uh, Speedball and all that? Yeah, you know, Speedball. <laughs> Everybody's you know. favorite. Vital supporting character. Well, he was important to that story. Anyway, 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 <laughs> before we before we even lose ourselves before the even interview. Yes. Remember, everybody, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Before we go on off on another tangent, Mark, let's yes. get right to our interview with Dennis Hopeless. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Okay, Dan, so here we are with uh, Dennis Hopeless on the other end. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, Dennis, we... we uh, our, both Dan and I are really huge fans of uh, the new status quo on on Spider Woman, the book that you're writing right now. So uh, we we are yeah we're really excited to talk to you about it. Totally. 
Yeah, um, it's, it's nice to actually have it starting to come out. We had launching during Spider Verse was kind of weird because we were, you know, like telling bits of a larger story right out of the gate. So it's it's been fun to see issue five come out and kind of show off what we had planned all along. Cool. Well, you know, we're we're going to ask you about that. I, I guess to start first at the beginning, I did want to ask you a little bit about how uh, you you came to this book in the first place. I mean, were you pitching a Spider Woman? story and you kind of landed on it did someone approach you what was i guess the kind of the genesis of all that um yeah nick lowe and i worked on cable and x-force um on when marvel now first kicked up he was the uh head of the x office and so he launched all those x books and so nick was nick was my editor for the i think the first two arcs of cable and x-force and we got along really well and then he moved on um, and brought in Daniel Ketchum to take over. So I hadn't worked with Nick in a couple of years. And Cable and X-Force ended. And I was doing, um, I was finishing up Avengers Undercover, which was supposed to go 15 issues and then got canceled. So I was kind of like looking for my next project I was fi- as I was finishing up the last couple issues of Avengers uh, Undercover. And reached out to some editors and said, hey, I'm available. Let me know if you have anything. And Nick was the first one to call back. And yeah, he said that they were going to be launching a couple of new Spider-Woman books, because um, this is when, they were, when Silk was in development. I think Dan had, um, like, hinted at the character in Amazing Spider-Man, but she wasn't, uh, hadn't been shown yet. And he asked which character I'd be interested in, like, did I want to do Jessica Drew or did I want to watch this new thing? Because, you know, it was all still up in the air. This was months and months ago. And um, I love Jessica Drew. I'm a huge Spider-Woman fan, so I immediately said, I want that. Please let me do that. Um and then he said, okay, great. Well, the first four issues are going to be in the middle of this giant crossover. So are you cool with, <laughs> with uh, telling a big, crazy crossover stories? Our numbers will be great. And um, so, yeah, that was – I'd never done a crossover. I, like I'd never really tied into anything at all before. My books were always sort of off on their own at Marvel. So I was excited to try it. And, yeah, it's a good job. So let's talk about that crossover, Spider-Verse. Uh, what's it like introducing a series as part of a tie-in? And like, what was the planning or notes that you were given in terms of how you fit your story into the other ongoing story? Well, fortunately, they were developed it all way ahead of time. Dan had been planning – this is Dan Slott – had been planning uh, Spider-Verse for a really long time. I actually think it was supposed to happen originally in the middle of his Superior Spider-Man run. Like he had planned it for there, and then it got pushed for various reasons so they could do different things. So the whole story was really well um, plotted out, and very early on I was sent the Spider-Verse Bible, which is like a, I don't know, like a 35-page single space, just everything that happens in Spider-Verse, where all the characters are from start to finish, you know, all of the inheritors and what their deal was, and was told, you know, this is where Silk and Jessica are at different parts of the story so you've got four issues you know like figure out a plot that works in and around this so it was very much a an exercise in like dancing around rain you know dancing through the raindrops like okay jess is here at this point and here at this point how do i tell a story within that that you know like helps push spider-verse forward but also develops the character and and you know introduces her to spider-verse readers that we were going after um and it's a very different thing from just developing your own plot or launching a book. You know, normally a number one is all about introducing the character and the the world and the new status quo or whatever. And in this, it was more about 
who is Jessica Drew within the confines of this big, crazy multiversal spider war? You know, like what is her role to play in that? So it was very different. It was a lot, I think it was probably a lot more right, like writing a miniseries, like a crossover miniseries than it was like launching an ongoing. Um, but I'd never done either. So like, <laughs> I had never done, um, an ongoing during an event and I'd never done one of those miniseries. So I'm just assuming. Do you, do you feel like, uh, the expectations of number one, like relaunching the character, giving them like a status quo, like of a typical number one, like, you know, your story was very much not that, like you just said, um, do you think that those expectations like hurt the book necessarily or do you think you know you were able to have a successful kind of rebooting five issues in like like you kind of have well it because we knew what was what it was going to be like we kind of had to balance that it was all very well planned i know a lot of people that didn't like the spider-verse stuff or that weren't reading spider-verse um were kind of turned off by it but the whole point of doing it that way was to launch high you know, launch at better numbers than a Jess book would normally, and to try to, de- like, characterize her within the confines of something that other people are already reading. Sure. So sure. we really wanted to cement her in Spider-Verse so that all of those Spider-Man readers would, you know, would, would have a look at the character. So my focus was more on, you know, like, how does she fit into this and how can I make that interesting and how can I kind of change the character and give the character an arc within that um, so that we can pull some of these... Uh, Spider-Verse readers over. Now, what I what I didn't anticipate is that that was going to piss off some Jess fans because they had some other expectation. Um, but it worked. Like, we, I, I hear from a lot of fans that we pulled a lot of people over because they liked her voice or they liked the character and that they're going to keep going with us. And from what I can tell, most of the Jess fans are just really happy it's over and excited for number five. So as a, like as a strategy to get new readers, I think it worked pretty well. Um, you know, I would, it's hard to look back at stuff that just came out cause you're still kind of close to it. And I would obviously do things a little bit differently with everything if I could start over cause I've gone through the process of writing it, but uh, it, was, it was fun. It was, it was a challenge and I had a really good time doing it. It was fun seeing all the other books and like playing in as a part in a part of this huge event that everybody was talking about. So I, I don't know that I would. I wouldn't have said no. If I had to do it over again, I probably would change some things about what about my part, but I wouldn't have said no. I thought your voice really shined through in, uh, in the book, in, in the sp- your Spider-Verse tie-in. Like, it seemed very crystal clear what kind of a voice we were going to get on this book. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was the thing, because it's so weird. Like, there was no way I was going to make it a simple story, you know? Like, you've got these other characters that just needed to be with at certain times, and she was going to be bouncing through worlds and... You know, at certain points she was going to be interacting with like the master weaver and and the inheritors and all these crazy characters, and I and I had very little ability to change that stuff. So I wanted it to be a story about a person who's ordinarily very good at her job, but extremely overwhelmed because she's been put in an, in an awful situation. And so, you know, just as dealing with the fact, like she's she's kind of the whole time. She's like behind enemy lines and trying to do her spy thing, but she wasn't given anywhere near enough information. And all of the bad guys are like invincible and impossible to stop. And there are all these what she perceives as like, you know, wet behind the ears noobs who just get themselves in trouble all the time that she's trying to keep from getting killed. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely overwhelming. Um, And I wanted that pressure 
to affect her. Like I, that's why our ending is what it is. You know, like that's why she quits the Avengers and it's just, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to, I want to go do something good and heroic that I can wrap my mind around and, and like have a normal life within, um, again. So yeah, I wanted it to kind of be her little last bit of crazy before she puts that part of her life aside for a while and goes and, and does the street level thing. Now, um, was the book ever intended to also kind of function as a platform for Silk? I mean, I know you had mentioned earlier that when you were first approached by Nick Lowe, he had kind of came at you with two different ideas. But, I mean, I don't know if it was just how I read the solicits or whatever, but, like, I felt like when the first few issues were being promoted, it was like, it's Spider-Woman and also the new Silk, you know? I mean, was that... Kind of like, you know... Yeah, partially just because kind of... Silk's book was not going to launch until after. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that was the book. I mean, like, Scarlet Spiders had several characters in it other than Scarlet Spider. You know what I mean? Like, that those characters allocated to that story. So Silk was allocated to our story, I, I presume, because the Silk book was scheduled for later. Um, also, a lot of this stuff, like, it's kind of fluid in the planning stages, so they don't mm-hmm. know exactly what's going to be where. And at the point where I was offered both books or talked to about both books, all that was still up in the air. Like Robbie got um, Silk way well before the you know the book came out. This was all months and months ago. So um, yeah, I think they just wanted Silk to be a major player in one of the books, one of the Spider Verse side series, and. Spider Woman was the one that ended up in. So I knew Silk was going to be like a part of the main cast. I actually thought that Spider Gwen and um, Spider Girl, uh, yeah. her name is Spider Girl at this point, right? I don't yes. know. They keep changing. <laughs> I think she may have graduated to Spider Woman or something. Because they did, that's what they did with May. This yeah. is one thing that's very confusing about writing Spider-Verse is there's so many spider characters that you have to try and make sure people understand exactly who you're talking about, like artists, for instance. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that the girl, those girls were going to be a larger part of the book, but because of how uh, Dan's story evolved, there was just less and less room for some of that. So that's why we see, we see them a little bit, and I had a really good time writing them, but they, they don't show up in many places. It, it's weird, like, because... My entire plot for all four issues were based on this Bible that was Dan's initial plan. Stuff changes as you script, you know, like as you go from the the plot and the planning stages to the actual script in every one of the books, you know, even though they're tied together, they're being written by different people. So things shift and move around. So I think uh, it was issue three. A lot of the things that I like assumptions I had made about the things in the plot, Dan went a different direction. So you probably noticed in that issue, there's a lot of things that are just directly what happened in Amazing Spider-Man that issue. Um, and that's because the, the, the other version of that that I had written didn't make sense with what Dan did. And there wasn't a time to do much of anything other than just like correct it back so that it matched up. So it's an interesting, like weird jigsaw puzzle where we're all carving different pieces and then slamming them together. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think it makes for interesting point of view shifts as you read the different books. Can we talk about the cockroach pal? Because I <laughs> love this and I want to know where it came from. <laughs> I just, Silk 
<laughs> Silk sort of. I didn't want her to be like just what Silk or what Jessica thought of her at the beginning. I didn't want her to just be like an over enthusiastic noob that doesn't understand she's getting other people in trouble. Um, and I ran the risk of her like either just being on the run or annoying people the whole time. I didn't want that to be the case. Uh, so I thought it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's uh, I wanted her to have someone to talk to, but I couldn't really put anybody in the radiated world, and she needed to be in the radiated world in that moment. So I like the idea. She's sort of like, uh, to me, that seems a little bit like Wilson from Castaway. Yeah. She needed somebody <laughs> to talk to, and the cockroach was the only living thing around, so that's – she glommed onto him. It was uh, one of the highlights of the whole uh, Spider-Verse series for me, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny the sorts of uh, comments you get. I had a couple of people email me and tell me that the cockroaches surviving a nuclear holocaust was a myth and that that wouldn't happen. And I'm like, did you see the other things that happened in the book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, never, never, never doubt the tunnel vision of comic book fans. <laughs> um, so, you know. Spider Verse, you know, you, obviously the first the first four issues of the series were, were were tied in, and then we had issue five, which was kind of this this brand new beginning. Um, you know, I, I guess first in terms of the actual um, redesign of the character, you know, I, I I know Nick Nick has given some interviews where he's talked about that was kind of a a mandate from him to kind of we need to get her in a new costume. Yeah, uh, it happened very early on. We were, the weird thing about it, all of this happened. We were first stuff and uh, the second arc at the same time because mainly because you have to wait until Dan's at a certain point before you can kind of get too far in your plotting. You know, for this for exactly the reasons that I mentioned. So we we, we had basic plot ideas for Spider Verse, and then we had like some some lag time before we could actually start scripting those, and that's when we started developing what was going to happen happen after. And uh, we had talked about changing the costume during Spider Verse. Like Nick really wanted to change the costume and, and launch with a new costume and stuff, but we thought it would be too confusing with all these different Spider characters running around if Jessica Drew shows up looking completely different than she's ever looked before. Like yeah. we wanted this to be clear, especially in the other books. Hey, this is the same Jessica Drew, so we put it off until issue five. But yeah, that was part of our very early conversations. And yeah, Nick hated the old costume because of the like vagina triangle. <laughs> uh, so so we talked we talked about um, what would make more sense, and most of the actual design comes from Chris Anka. Like that's just he he sent us some preliminary designs with a lot of those elements in it, and then we kind of. You know, based on what I wanted to do with the character and stuff editorial liked, and I, like even Joe Casada did an adjustment on the boots at one point. It was there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen, um, but we developed the co- costume that way, and then Chris came back with what I think is a great design. Can you speak to what it means to you to, that the design was changed, like from the original? Well, yeah, but I mean, like even more on a personal level, like what what does that mean for you and for the character? I think it makes sense from the story standpoint. Um, she's kind of putting aside this old version of herself and this like big time Avengers superhero version of herself and, and reinventing herself. So it made sense. Um, I actually really like the old costume. Um, and so I was hesitant at first when Nick mentioned wanting to change it just cause I, I think she's a cool character and it's a cool costume, but I love the new one and it, 
it works and we get to use it as a you know she's got a jacket if she takes off her jacket she's sort of not in a costume anymore which is really useful for street level stuff whenever she needs to be incognito so um from a writing standpoint it's really fun and it's cool to to be able to take the character that's been around for you know 30 whatever how many ever years um and like take her in in a new a new direction in a new place like i think this will be a big uh section you know i'm not saying the costume will last forever or this is going to be like the greatest jessica drew run of all time but i think we're you know there's a clear distinction between before before this and after this and and this is the new jess kind of so that's uh, i'm excited about it i'm happy about it and the reaction has been amazing like the the fan support we're getting is really cool i mean given um the fact that this was kind of planned out in advance i mean were were you or any of the you know the guys working on the book caught off guard by the whole controversy with the with the variant cover with with this uh you know back before you know, the the was it the Milo Manara cover yeah that was weird for me because because we were doing so much work that no one was going to see for a long time and i i basically didn't comment on it until long after like until the um, the issues are coming out because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happened when that controversy, uh, first of all, I didn't see that cover until it was online. Like yeah. the variant covers aren't something they run by us as a general rule, you know, like that's a marketing thing and has nothing to do with the creative team usually. Um, so they put it up in previews and it was kind of a perfect storm because it was one of several variant covers. And it just happened to be the one that was done and colored when it was time to put the previews ad together. Yeah, yeah. So you had main cover done. And then that was the only other one. Like if Scotty's had been done and that had run, there would have been no controversy, <laughs> um, right. but Scotty's wasn't colored yet. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of a weird, perfect storm of, Hey, we announced this during the Marvel, I mean, the women of Marvel panel and it's supposed to be one of the new female led books. And then it's got this cover that everyone's up in arms about. Um, and I, I had nothing to say. Like I didn't, I had nothing to do with the cover. I had my opinion on the cover was sort of irrelevant. And at the same time, I'm writing like these two very not sexy stories simultaneously for Jessica Drew. One, like a big, crazy um, interdimensional war story where she's at her wit's end and the other one, you know, is like a totally 80s daredevil, street level, new costume, you know, just kicking people in the teeth book. And then we've got this controversy. Um, and the, I don't know, it was, it was very strange because it felt like it had very little to do with the book and very little to do with me. But it ran in Entertainment Weekly, you know, like it was a really big thing for a minute. <laughs> um, so that was strange. And I... I was able to weather it. I mean, I wrote Avengers Arena, so it's not like I hadn't been yelled at online before. And this, <laughs> I wasn't being named. I wasn't being. I wasn't the devil in this particular case. Um, so I kind of just sat it out. Like I, the editors knew what I thought about it and knew, you know, like I made myself clear with Marvel where I stood. But I kind of just let it <laughs> let it go online. Yeah, totally fair. <laughs> um. So I mean, I mean, you 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 you've used the word street level a lot to talk about, you know, what Jess, you know, the new status quo for Jessica. I, I mean, obviously, that's I mean, I think it's the perfect way to, to describe it. So, I mean, where 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 did this idea to kind of go in this direction come from? I mean, you know, it, it, it's it works so well for the character, but 
I'm just curious. This was clearly something you wanted to do from the get-go, right? Yeah. Um, that was my, my – the first thing that I pitched was it would be fun to take her back to her roots and do kind of a PI thing, but through the lens of someone who's been like a big badass superhero. Because her early stories – um, she was a PI or, you know, like running around doing street level stuff, but it, it was also dealing with like, I have no memory of my childhood and I maybe used to be a spider, you know, but she, there's some really weird stuff going on, <laughs> the high evolutionary and stuff in her original origin. And so there's early issues. She's kind of like stranger in a strange land and the strange land is New York or L- it was actually LA, I think. Um, and so I, I liked the idea of taking her back to that and she's a completely different person now. Um, so that was kind of my pitch is what if Jess doesn't remember how to be a street level hero anymore and kind of has to find her feet, um, and do all this stuff without, you know, the Avengers app on her cell phone telling her every time there's anything going on in the city. Um, so that was, I thought that would be fun. And, and it ended up tying in well to what we did in Spider-Verse, like, let's give her the crazy and have her stop that and then realize that, oh, there's some crazy at street level too. You know, she's not, she's dealing with some pretty ridiculous things in this first arc. Like I really wanted to lean into the silly um, silver age villains, like, you know, big wheel and senior suerte and all these ridiculous (laughs) costume villains that she has to go up against. Um, And yeah, I I don't know. I, I I think Nick suggested Ben Yurik um, as a way to kind of, to tie into that. And, uh, I loved the idea of this old newspaper man in 2015, like when nobody cares about newspapers anymore and this dream job that he's got is falling apart and he wants something (laughs) to, something to do and something to, to latch onto that matters. Um, and yeah, that kind of just grew out of that, like all these different ideas. Well, as Dan can attest to, I'm probably like Ben York's biggest fan. I, I, I used to work as a reporter myself. So, like I, I, I'll read Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, and like I like pump and cheer for the Ben parts. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's getting, yeah. he's almost got stabbed with a sigh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's but, a really um, fun character to write, and well, I just like people with an interesting perspective. And I think, in, you know, like a middle aged newspaper man who's, yeah, I mean, his dream job is going away as we speak. Isn't it really interesting perspective? Um, He's not – he's probably not going to go be a celebrity blogger, you know, like he's not going to be able to move very well in that direction. And so what, it, what does he do? And yeah, I, I love I – love their, their relationship is really interesting because these, <laughs> these two people that's jobs just changed a lot um, trying to find a way to help people and make the world better. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, you have no idea just how much glee you brought, Mark. <laughs> I mean, I, I peeled open this book and saw that uh, Ben was in it, and I thought, oh, well, that's it. Now I'm not going to hear the end of this from Mark. <laughs> yeah, he, he plays a big role. He's, he's our um, – I mean, I guess he's kind of like Commissioner Gordon, but I, he's just as much like old man Batman in, uh, in Batman Beyond. Like he, he's – He's he's a big, you know. He's just a teammate. He's her her uh, guiding light, and it's they're they're really fun to write together. I also love writing Porcupine, which I know is ridiculous, but <laughs> <laughs> there's something about these people these these like smaller characters that exist in this world full of gods that are that really interest me. 
Um, so speaking about like early Spider-Woman stories, um, mm-hmm. you know, high evolutionary and all that stuff. But one of the things I, I recently have gone back and reread a number of them. And one of the things that, you know, when she was introduced, it's kind of, it was a very different time in the country and the way that people were zep- represented in media, particularly women. Yes. Um, and I wonder, uh, as like a male writer writing like one of the biggest female characters in the Marvel Universe, like what – I mean she's got pheromone powers. There's no like overlooking that. Like what, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what is your approach in like – you know, I don't know how to ask this, but like there are certain things to be wary of and how you, this character is de- depicted. Um, sure, sure. Um, yeah, and you know I'm – I think a certain segment of the fan base is going to be offended anytime her pheromone powers come up. Sure. Uh, I, I addressed it a little bit during the spider verse issues and I put her in a, you know, (laughs) there's not a worse, it seems, seems to me anyway, that there, there's not a worse, uh, replace my double spy situation than having to replace this concubine of, an invincible like vampire creature. Sure. <laughs> she was put in a really awkward situation where she needed to play this role, but it's the antithesis of what Jess is at this point. And it, and it kind of is, you know, it forces her to, to use elements of her past and elements of her powers that she's not comfortable with. And that the audience frankly isn't comfortable with. Um, and we skirted the line a lot because probably to some degree because of the controversy that happened before we got there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's best not to make that the, the main thing about the character, you know, like, and I think Bendis did a good job of it in the, the one from a couple years ago, the, um, agent of sword one where she's embarrassed when she has to use her pheromone powers, you know, she doesn't like it. She'll, she'll do it if she has to, to save her life. And it, you know, she's willing to, to walk that line if, if need be, but ordinarily she'd rather just punch somebody in the face than, you know, <laughs> squirt out some pheromones and make them fall in love. That's not what she wants to do. Um, so we probably won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, because yeah, it's just, it's just outdated. Like it's not really necessary and it's kind of gross. I like how you've addressed it so far, having her kind of remark on, on her past and her old costume and, and um, how people see her. So I, I think you've been handling it pretty well. So hats off to you. Thank you. Well, and the fact is, I mean, we're writing these books in a time when everything is changing very rapidly. Like the things that, that used to be commonplace in superhero comics, you know, like sexual innuendo and, and um, misogynistic things with the characters, they don't fly anymore. Like you get immediate feedback and immediate fan disgust if you cross a line and it's it's just it's changed the way we look at these characters it's changed the way that we look at storytelling and and what's okay and what's not okay and i think that's great like it it's it makes it more difficult because you have to you know you have to really think about okay what what is this what am i saying about the character what am i what am i doing with the character and is this okay but i don't think that's a bad thing i think absolutely it's and so I think that it allows us to have some immediacy with the, you know, the characters ideas about these things too. Like that's, this is how it used to be and that's not okay with me anymore and that shouldn't be okay. So I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. Um, at the same time, I'm a white straight dude. So, you know, like 
how much energy do I want to put into my thoughts on, on that stuff? Um, I would rather have a character move past it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we're, we're not going to delve too deeply into it just because I'd rather have her move on. You know, she, she's, she's going in a different direction. Um, so Dennis, I know you want to look forward, but I mean, are there, are there any like specific creative runs or storylines or anything that you're kind of using as a source of inspiration and in crafting this? I mean, either Bendis to Spider Woman or you even mentioned Daredevil earlier, uh, either of those or anything else that you're kind of using to kind of base yeah. the story on? Yeah, my, my Jess, um, a lot of it comes from, well, frankly, a lot of it comes from the most recent um, representations of her. I love what um, Alice Cott's doing in Secret Avengers with her. I really liked what um, Kelly Sue DeConnick did with her in Captain Marvel and in uh, Avengers Assemble. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan. Like, I think the voice comes more from that stuff than anything. But I fell in love with the character during uh, Bendis' run on Avengers and, um, yeah, whenever he did the Agent of Sword series from a few years ago. All of my early Jess reading came in research for uh, for the book. So most of the stuff that I'm drawing from is, you know, it, I'm inspired more by the stuff that I actually read when it was coming out, which is the newer stuff. And then I'm pulling bits and pieces from the old stuff. But like you say, the comics were a lot different back then. And the character, um, it would be hard to take much of her voice and personality from that early stuff, I think. Um, I just don't know that it would read. Uh, but I'm hoping to bring in some of the weird old, like early villains and, and uh, side characters going forward. Cause that's, that stuff's really fun. And it's fun to kind of rejuvenate that, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Daredevil, I think is probably my, my touchstone for great street level Marvel stories. So, um, and I've always, Daredevil was my favorite character, always uh Marvel character for a long, long time. So I have stores and stores and stores in my brain of, of old Daredevil stories that I'm using, um, but not maybe going back and directly riffing on because that would be intimidating. <laughs> so, so Dennis, you've had the, uh, the great fortune to work with two really wonderful artists on this book. Can, yes. can you speak about that and also, uh, an additional question, um, uh, were there any challenges in setting the, the tone or the, uh, the character in the book with two different artists? It is very different. Like Greg, Greg, what Greg does um, is fantastic and very, very different from what Javier does. And fortunately, the two different kinds of stories – like I think the Spider-Verse stuff works really well with what Greg does. Lots of big, you know, like big crazy uh Hollywood style action and and weird worlds and he did just a fantastic job of making it cinematic and real and 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 big. And uh he doesn't do like little small moments the same way that Javier does. Like Javier, you know, give Javier a 14 panel page and he'll have all these different facial expressions and stuff. Um, and that's kind of not what Greg does. So I tried to write more to like big moments and big crazy action and, and um, old school superhero punch people in the face stuff with Greg because that's what he likes to draw. Um, and then I would, you know, pack my dialogue into the, into the wide shots and stuff and, and not tax him with a bunch of talking heads. And Javier is, is sort of the opposite where 
he loves those little moments. You know, he loves to, there's a scene in um, issue six where Jess makes a bowl of cereal in a, like a McDonald's cup because she doesn't have any bowls. And he, he just, he just kept making more panels of her filling that cereal bowl. And it's so awesome. And, you know, like not every artist would, would want to, to do that and would be able to, to make that into a thing that's interesting to read. Um, but yeah, the, it's important to keep in mind what, what your artist likes to draw and what your artist is great at drawing and what, um, what you can do, uh, to make what you do works with work with what they do. So the office scene where she hammers through the wall, um, with that, uh, very film noir lighting was really wonderful. Yeah. Well, Javier colors himself. So all of that is him. That's, that's all him. And, uh, the anchor, whose name escapes me at the moment, but who's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I write the scripts pretty detailed, not because I expect the art to look just like it does in my head, but because that's the only way I can make sure the scene works. So I'll write lots of camera angles and descriptions and stuff. And Javier like watches my movie and then refilms it himself. So every scene, like he makes all these 14 panel double page spreads out of my, you know, like simple layouts. And when I, when I go in to do the, the lettering edits, I just completely rework the, the script and all the dialogue and stuff to fit his little moments and beats that he writes. It takes forever, but it's, it's like really creatively satisfying to have a co-creator that's, you know, that's changing things up and, and putting a stamp on everything. And I just love how the book looks. And, um, yeah, and, and and I love what Greg did too. Greg is Greg takes a lot of crap online um, because his style is not everybody's favorite thing, um, but he is a fantastic person to work with, and it's really cool to see, like, you know, these nearly photorealistic versions of of what you what you asked for. It's like watching the movie version, sort of of um, of your script, which is a lot of fun. So. It has been interesting to, to these two guys couldn't be more different stylistically, and working with them is, is very different and very fun. So, Dennis, I know that you can't divulge too many details for fear of, you know, Marvel probably, you know, putting you on the firing squad or anything. But in terms of Secret Wars, so what's the is the plan for the book? I, I didn't see Spider Woman on one of the books that's going to go on hiatus or, you know, the world is then what's, what's the plan for, for Spider-Woman during Secret Wars in terms we of... We're running, we're running through, I thought it was 11, but I talked to Nick today and I, it might be 10, but we, but our book runs into Secret Wars a bit and will continue the storyline, um, just as though it took place before that stuff started up, uh, through at least 10. Um, and then Secret Wars happens and I am not continuing Jess into a secret wars book. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm done with Jess. It just means secret wars will happen like outside we, what we're doing. Uh, and yeah. then during secret wars, I'm doing two series. One of them is, um, the Inferno book that's, you know, right. takes place in an alternate version of the old X-Men Inferno story. And then another book that hasn't been announced. So I'll be busy with other stuff during secret wars and Jess will be doing things during secret wars, but we will not be together. Um, and then Secret Wars plays out, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, considering how you came into this book, I mean, it's just kind of like, what? What? what I mean, what do you? What are you thinking? What it's like? Okay, yeah, we got to. You know, you're going to write this book, but first it's a tie-in, and then you're going to do a new status quo, and then Secret Wars happens. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of like, 
as a creator? What does that do to you? Fortunately, that we knew, we I knew it was happening. You know, like yeah. all the stuff was planned out enough that I knew I would basically get the Spider Verse arc and then the two new Jess arc. You know, like street level arc stories, and then Secret Wars would happen. Um, so I knew it was going to happen, and I plotted it that way. So I'm really, you know, I'm really happy with the two short arcs. I'm really happy with the Spider-Verse stuff, too. Like, I know I, I complain a lot when I talk about it because it, <laughs> it was difficult. Like, it was a, a real challenge. But I think I'm really happy with, with Jess's voice and, and Jess's, like, the, the change the character goes through. And it was really fun getting to play um, in one of those big events because, you know, I've always read them and I've just never never gotten a chance to do it. I am happy that I don't have to write a Secret Wars book with Jess coming on the heels of that just because – you know, they're, they're they're a different beast, and yeah. it'll be nice to just kind of like pause for a minute and let Secret Wars happen, um, and then go do my crazy Secret Wars books with other characters and other things, and not have to try and tie it together. Um, but I wouldn't worry about it if you like what we're doing with the book. Uh, there's a good chance that there'll be more of that at some point. Okay. How uh, speaking of Secret Wars, and I know you can't say anything. But, like, as a writer, how much do the writers for Marvel know about post-Secret Wars status quos at this point? Well, it depends. I think it depends on what's happening to your book or books or whatever post-Secret Wars. Um, and some of that – I don't know. It's just such a weird thing because of what's ha- – like, because of the publishing plan during Secret Wars – um, and how it all ties together and, you know, like uh, the weirdness of battle world, we're all busy with other things. So like right now I'm writing, s- I got a couple more issues of spider woman left to write that don't really ad- address secret wars at all. And then I'm knee deep in it on those two other series and the kind of like the two worlds don't, don't meet. So right. I, from my point of view, and because Spider-Woman kind of runs into Secret Wars a little bit, we're just now getting those conversations about what happens next. Because um, it is such a big world-changing bit of crazy. Um, so probably it, it depends editor to editor and writer to writer, and, you know, and what, what particular books you're doing. Because, like, Jason, I don't think Spider-Gwen is affected by Secret Wars at all, except for that it stops for a minute, you know? Um, like, my understanding is his story is, doesn't even touch on it. Um, Except, you know, then the world ends and all the books go away and it'll never happen again. But <laughs> it's very good yeah. to talk about this stuff because I, I only know so much. And we're no, not no. And we're, we're honestly not trying to, like, pump you no, no, for no. it. It's, it's, just... it's hard to make an interesting <laughs> point about it. Can I ask you one question about Secret Wars? And I don't really want to go, like, too deep into the Secret Wars thing here and on sure. that much of a tangent. But it's something that is very unclear to me. And since you're writing two books, it seems like you would likely know. But they've been advertising, you know, Battle World with this map, like this geographic map. Am, am I to understand that these multiple different universes take up a physical location? Like, if I were to walk from... Uh, California to New Mexico, I would cross the border from Inferno to Spider Island. Yes, that's some crazy stuff. Yes, and, and <laughs> believe it or not, all makes sense within the story. Okay, like the basic the basic tenets of, the, of Jonathan's story make all of that make sense. Um, and it's it's the books honestly. 
I don't know. See, I, there's so many books, but my books don't have to address that very much. Like it is, it is a fact of the of the world of Battle World, but it's not necessarily a massive part of each one of those stories. That is some crazy stuff. I'm sure it is a massive part of Jonathan's story, but you know he's telling the Secret Wars story, and like you know the, I'm telling the Inferno story. So my story is mostly about my my story is mostly like Escape from New York if New York were hell and Snake Plissken was Colossus. Like that's the story you're getting if you're reading Inferno. <laughs> um, and, and the fact that it takes place on Battleworld is sort of irrelevant to Colossus, so it's basically irrelevant to the story, you know? Yeah. But, but, but will Infer- your version of Inferno have Demon Goblin in it, who I think was I, – I believe that character was introduced in, uh, in Inferno. Is, am, I, am I misremembering, Dan? Yeah, I believe you're right. <laughs> I think that the, 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 the... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just – you can go right ahead. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy demon nonsense in, in my book. Like I, I looked up all of that old Inferno stuff and then said, okay, if this event happened for five years, what sort of crazy shit would be going on in Manhattan five years later? And so all of that weirdness has just been like growing and festering in there for five years. And then Colossus is thrown back in and it is, it is the weirdest thing I've ever been a part of, and it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm going cross-eyed just listening to you talk about this. But the nice thing is you just get to – it's like an action movie. Like, and that's sort of how I approached Cable and X-Force, which is the last time I wrote Colossus and Domino and Boom Boom. So it's like a really weird Cable and X-Force story for me. That takes place in hell, more or less. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird, but it's a lot of fun. Well, this is all very exciting. <laughs> Th- well, Dennis, we want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I tend to ramble. Hopefully I made some coherent thoughts. Uh, fans of the podcast are uh, well and used to rambling. Okay. Yeah, not from, not, from, not from you, but from us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks again for coming on the show. Yep, thanks, guys. Amazing friend. Well, that was fun, Dan. Right? I, I thought Dennis Dennis was a good interview. We got some got some good tidbits. We even got a little bit a little bit of Secret Wars insight. Yeah, and some teases about the future of Spider Woman. I'm I can't wait for the uh, the McDonald's Cup cereal scene. Yeah, no, I mean it. It, it definitely sounds like. Um, he and, and Javier Rodriguez kind of have a symbiotic relationship there. Dennis clearly has a lot of appreciation for this character. Um, you know, it, it is kind of funny to hear him talk about um, some of his, I don't want to say concerns, but challenges that he faced with Spider-Verse because I feel that in, in our write-ups and our respective sites that kind of came across. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that validates us or not, Dan, but it was it was interesting. Yeah, it was good. You know what? It, we haven't really read a lot of his new issues yet. You know, we're still on issue five at the time of this recording. Um, but I'm really glad that Marvel is giving some writers a chance to do things like this. I mean, just the very fact that he mentioned that he's writing a scene featuring cereal in a cup um, for a number of panels. Like, it, it gives me hope. Yeah. That sounds kind of glib, uh, <laughs> especially given how trivial that subject matter sounds. But, like... You know, 
I appreciate a good little bit of drama and and non Hollywoodness out of the comic. So I, if you aren't picking up Spider Woman, really is what I'm trying to say is go check out Spider Woman because I, I think it's a refreshing comic. Definitely, especially when discussed from inside of a washing machine. <laughs> No, I kid, because his audio is kind of going in and out there. But that's fine. I hope yeah, you guys enjoyed the interview nevertheless. You you just earned us a four-star rating now with someone commenting on the audio. You realize that, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to put uh, – all, all these episodes sound like they're from inside of a washing machine. <laughs> What's with the dog? Wait, no. Wrong, wrong interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know what you're going to get when you interview these people, you know? Uh, but uh, not everybody has the pristine audio setup that I have so strictly enforced on this podcast. Yes, on a computer that was made in 1987. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, why don't you bring us home? All right, right. Of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do... Please make sure you leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll read it on the air. Mark, next week we're going to be talking about uh, very particular comics in some of our classic comics look back. What do readers have to look forward to? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, we're going to be starting our, our essential series that we had mentioned uh, on our last podcast. And, you know, given, given the the narrative of the current Spiral series with Jerry Conway, we thought we would uh, – kick off our essential series with a, a little three-parter involving the first appearance of a certain rotund mob boss. What rotund mob boss would that be? Are there that many rotund mob bosses in Spider-Man history, Dan? Is it, is it the one played by Vincent D'Onofrio? Yes, not the one played by Michael Clark Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> no, they both, they both can be Kingpin. Um, yeah, we're going to be looking at Amazing Spider-Man 50 to 52, which is, you know, the famed Spider-Man No More, and then the first, and then two stories about Kingpin and causing havoc for Spidey. So uh, I think that's going to be some uh, some good times, and we'll, uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. <laughs> well, you know, if, uh, if you have any feelings about issues 50 to 52, which, you know, are a favorite of many people, please write in to us like you can with any questions or opinions to AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com, and we'll address and read them on the air. You know, it'd be, it'd be nice to get some uh, listeners' feedback on issues 50 to 52 and, and work it into our conversation. Absolutely. And, and you know where else people can leave us feedback, Dan? I have no idea, but I bet you're going to tell me. Yes. Well, you know, I'm not reading this off a script or anything because that would be, you know, revealing the magic. But – we also both have Facebook pages, and you can find them at facebook.com slash superior spider talk, spider talk and facebook.com slash Jason Amazing. And you know what? These are great places to keep up with us in between shows and to leave us questions about Amazing Spider-Man number 50 to 52. Absolutely. Just shoot us a message or tweet at us with hashtag OK to print, and we'll read your question or comment on the show. Yeah, and also don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club and support our show. So, Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, you can, of course, find me on www.chasingamazingblog.com or on Twitter at chasingasmblog. Um, all uh, this week and next, I'm continuing with uh, my 
look back at Underworld stories. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, we'll probably have at least two in the bank. Uh, the the Silvermane story that I wrote about uh, for week one, and then week two we we touch upon. Uh, Jerry Conway's original gang war story involving the first appearance of Hammerhead versus Doc Ock. Is that the one where Hammerhead becomes a ghost? No, 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 no. That that wouldn't come until later. This is this is the very first uh, debut of Hammerhead. Where and you know what? I totally forgot about this little bit of detail. Apparently, his origin story is you know he like collapses on the street, gets taken in by a mad scientist. Um, to kind of you know work on him and revive him and put whatever titanium in his in his head, and the reason why he becomes a mobster is because the last thing he sees before going under is a a poster of a movie with Al Capone. I remember that. I remember that. That's and I, 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 I totally forgot that. And, and when I was rereading it for my post, I was just like, oh my goodness, Jerry. How 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 Jerry has grown. <laughs> um, what about you, Dan? Where can we find you? Of course, you can go to superiorspidertalk.com for all the, my Spider-Man writing. It's a little bit of a slow week considering there were no new books. Um, but, you know, we have all the news that's breaking. I know that we have some Secret Wars announcements that you can check out. So uh, come on by, and you can follow us on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk, or you can follow me at, at DanGavazdin, where I post more broadly about my movie reviews and stuff. And um, I have my other podcast, Movie Dare, and uh, last week we tackled Gili, the perennial classic. Yes. Um, uh, where's Karate Kid 3, Dan? Well, you haven't you haven't recommended it to us formally yet, Mark. Um, I certainly did on one of your Facebook posts. So, oh, well, I, okay. Um, <laughs> Karate Kid Part Three is pending. Okay, okay. Uh, so, uh, Mark, we're talking about Spider Woman here, but that doesn't mean yeah. we can forget about Uncle Ben. Yeah, no, I was uh, you know hanging out with Uncle Ben, and you know it was really strange. He kept talking to me. Uh, and you know, he seemed like oddly attracted to me and I was like, dude, you're my uncle Ben, what's going on? And then I realized, ah, it was my pheromone powers. It wasn't just him being a creepy uncle. No, (laughs) no, he's not uncle Ernie. He's uncle Ben. Okay. Um, and it was my pheromone powers, you know, like they're always kicking it at the wrong time. Why was I created in the seventies? Um, you know, as a female hero. You know, and as cheesecake. Um, so, you know, I had to keep those pheromone powers in check because, you know, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk. Okay, that wasn't a total train ride.